Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org. And please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. Looking at Joshua chapter 8 tonight. And the children of Israel are going to take, finally take the city of Ai. Key verse in this chapter for me was verse 26. And uh, there's a miracle in this, and I don't know if we quite recognize it. But for Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out his spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. And so that's a key verse for me because I see a miracle of God in the stretching out of the sphere of Joshua. It is mentioned before this, and it was by the instructions of the Lord that he was to stretch out his spear. And so he was doing this in obedience to the Lord. But then when we get later on in the chapter in the battle, we discover that he didn't just stretch out his spear for a moment, but he kept it that way. And we'll talk about that in a bit when we get to that verse once again in our study. We're going to start out, though, looking at verses 1 through 8 and just reminding us, though, of chapter 7 before we read 1 through 8, that they had taken the city of Jericho. Ai was the city that was next on the list, and Joshua had sent out a couple of spies to check the city out. The spies came back, all found in chapter 7 of the book of Joshua. They came back and uh, reported to Joshua, it's like, we can take this city, and no need for the whole army to show up, just two or 3,000 people. Now, I find it interesting, later on in uh, chapter 8 here, we learned that there was 12,000 occupants in that city. So, they had a, a bold confidence as they were going forth here uh, because they were literally outnumbered as far as manpower was concerned, and it was a walled city, and they were worried about walled cities. But, of course, they had the testimony of what God could do with a walled city in the city of Jericho. And so they went out in confidence, but all, it was the confidence of the flesh. They went out to battle, and it cost them 36 lives as they fled from before the warriors of Ai. And they were troubled, Joshua praying, why? Why did this happen? And they learned about the sin of Achan, and that he had actually taken some of the accursed things that were supposed to have been dedicated to God, for the temple of God or tabernacle of God, and he took them and buried them in his tent. And because of his unfaithfulness, his disobedience of one man, it cost not only Achan his life, but the lives of 36 other warriors, his children, and all his possession. But here we find with the fall of Ai, all that Achan had desired was going to be available. Because this time, although the people were to be killed in this battle, the possessions were to be distributed among the Israelis. So they would take the spoils of war this time. He just had to wait just a little while, and the spoils would have been his. But he acted 
presumptuously and took the spoils that belonged to the Lord. So it tells us in verses 1 through 8, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you, and arise, and go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, and his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai as you did to the king of Jericho, only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush for the city behind it. So Joshua arose and all the people of war to go against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 men of valor, mighty men of valor, and sent them away by night. And he commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city, and, we will, and it will come out when they come out against us as at the first, and we shall flee before them, and they will come out after us till we have drawn them away from the city, for they will say, They are fleeing before us as at the first. Therefore, we will flee before them, and you shall rise from ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand, and it will be when you have taken the city that you will set the city on fire. According to the commandment of the Lord, you shall do. See, I have commanded you. So different, very different uh, battle tactic this time than what had happened before. They were, before operating on um, human wisdom and human intelligence. But this time, Joshua is in communion with the Lord once again. The Lord is speaking and Joshua is listening. Now, when Israel fell before Ai, it was because people were speaking and Joshua was not, he was not seeking the Lord's face as to what they should do or not. And so their failure... Yes, there was sin in the camp. They didn't know. It wasn't Joshua's fault. He didn't know what Achan had done and how one man in the whole nation had disobeyed the word of the Lord. Yes, there was sin in the camp, but he didn't seek the Lord's face to discover the a tactic and or if they should go with the battle plan. The battle plan of taking two to 3,000 men, that's all you need, versus God saying, take the whole army with you. In fact, the first number we're given is 30,000 men who would lay up in ambush. And so the numbers were tremendous at this point. And I think it was for the sake of the whole nation at this point. They had failed in battle, and they needed confidence once again. And we find that Joshua began talking to the people of war, saying, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. They had come to a point of being afraid. They were dismayed. It was something that the Lord had commanded Joshua back in Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I think Joshua had forgotten those words. But he had been reminded because he... Uh, fell on his face before the Lord. He questioned the Lord. He asked the question, why? As we studied last week, 
And the Lord communed with him and helped him discover what had actually taken place and why, why they had failed in battle. Now Joshua is in communion with God once again, and this time it's Yahweh who gives the battle plan. The spy said, don't take all the people up. It's a small city. And God said, take all the people of war with you. But I think perhaps God did this because the confidence of the whole nation had been shook. And they needed to see that God was still for them. Though God had given Ai as people, animal, and possessions into Israel's hands, they were only to take of the animals and the possessions as spoils of war. And then once again, if Achan would have just simply waited, the spoils would have been his to partake of. And yet it cost not only his own life, his own life, his family, 36 other men as well. Proverbs 28, 20 tells us, A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. So it's good to wait upon the Lord and to uh, wait for God's time and God's guidance. And that's what Joshua is doing in this account here, we find once again. So we pick up in verse 9. I'm going to read down through verse 23, so quite a large section. Joshua therefore sent them out, and they went to lie in ambush and stayed between Bethel and Ai, so Bethel, if you remember, that means house of God. And so between Bethel and Ai, on the west side of Ai, but Joshua lodged at night among the people. And Joshua rose up early in the morning, mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel before the people to Ai. And all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near and they came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now there was a valley between them and Ai. And so he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north of the city and its rear guard on the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. Now when it happened, when the king of Ai saw it, the men of the city hastened and rose early and went out against Israel to battle, he and all his people, at the appointed place before the plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all, the, all Israel made as if they were beaten before them, and they fled away in the way of the wilderness. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. So they left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, verse 18, Stretch out your spear that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that he had in his hand toward the city. So those in ambush arose quickly out of their place and ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand, and they entered the city and took it and hastened to set the city on fire. When the men of Ai looked behind them and saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven, 
They had no power to flee this way or that. The people who had fled into the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. Now when Joshua and all Israel saw the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. Then others came out of the city against them. So they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on this side, some on that side. And they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him to Joshua. So quite a different battle tactic this time. Although we didn't have the details of the last battle against Ai, all we had was, all we need is two or 3,000 men. Here, as I said, the whole army of Israel went forth, but also I believe this was because the whole army needed to know that God was still for them. God was still on their side. And they used the tactic of ambush, setting these men uh, to the west of the city, and then on the next day, going into the valley with Joshua and his men, and the men of Ai seeing that, and coming out to war against them, and Israel fleeing as if they had been defeated. They had them on the run. But that key verse, in verse 18, the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua is in communion with the Lord. In the midst of the battle, he is hearing the voice of the Lord. Stretch out your spear that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. Now we would think that, and Joshua did talk about a signal to his men, but we would think that all it was was a signal. He stretched out his spear. The men who was in ambush came, went into the city, began to burn the city. The tactic had worked. But when we get down to uh, verse, our key verse, get down to verse, I'm going to get back to where that is, verse 26. I was going to say 28. I knew that was wrong. We get down to verse 26. We find that Joshua did not withdraw the sword in his hand. And so he was kind of, in one sense, out of the battle. I don't know if there are people warring around him trying to protect him, but it just appears that Joshua, until the battle was over, stood with the sword in his hand. It was the sign of this raised spear, this sword, that caused the ambush to take place and the people being sandwiched between the warriors of Israel, the people of Ai, the warriors were struck down. None escaped. All but the king was brought to Joshua. So it came to pass, verse 24, when Israel had made an end of slaying the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness where they had pursued them, and when all had fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned to Ai, and they struck it with the edge of the sword, so that it was that it fell that day both men and women who were there, 12,000, all the people of Ai. So Joshua did not draw back his hand, which he stretched out, in verse 26, the spear, until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. So Verse 26, we read spear here. The Dead Sea Scrolls actually give a little data that suggests that this was perhaps a curved sword that he was holding out. 
So whether a sword or a spear, only the livestock, verse 27, the spoil of the city, Israel took as booty for themselves according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the tree. They cast it at the entrance of the gate, entrance of the gate of the city, raised up a great heap of stones over it that remains to this day. So the battle of Ai is finally complete. And a few of my observations. One, Joshua was obedient in prayer. And it was through prayer that Joshua obtained the battle plan from the Lord compared to the previous battle plan that failed that we studied last week. He just took the counsel of his warriors, and no doubt the warriors were capable men of giving such counsel, but they did not ask the Lord. And this is so important that they should seek the Lord in prayer. So he was obedient in prayer. And it's through prayer that God not only gave him the battle plan, but we also see that he was continuing in prayer in the midst of the battle because it was while he was in the battle, the Lord said to him, stretch out the spear. He was also obedient in his actions by stretching out the spear. I don't know if it reminded you, but it certainly reminded me of when Moses and the first time we're introduced to Joshua back in Exodus chapter 17, Moses instructs Joshua to go battle against Amalek. And that while Joshua and the men that he took with him in that war went to battle against Amalek, Moses, her, and Aaron were up on a hill. And it was discovered in the midst of that battle, as long as Moses held the rod of God up in his hand, that Joshua and Israel were being victorious over the enemy. But if Moses' hands grew weary and he would bring the rod down, and I don't know how Moses held the rod if he held um, in two fists hands like this or just held it up uh, with one hand, no matter. The discovery was as long as the rod was up and held up over the battle, there was victory. But if Moses' arms would get weary and he would let down the rod, then Amalek would have victory over Israel. And so as you know that account, uh, her and Aaron uh, made, took a stone for Moses to sit on. Uh, they supported Moses' arms that he could keep the hand extended, the rod of God extended over them. Here's a similar situation. Now it's not a rod, it's a sword. But it's the sword of Joshua. And as long as he held it out, there was victory there in that camp. So he was not only obedient in prayer, he was obedient in action. He was also obedient in killing the king of Ai. Many years ago, someone reading through the Old Testament told me that they stopped reading it because it's like reading an R-rated movie. And this is, we're going to get in the thick of it here in Joshua and Judges. And we're going to see a lot of warfare going on. We need to 
Always remember that God was bringing judgment upon the people of this land and that he had spared them uh, between five and six hundred years. He had spoken this judgment that was coming to this land of Canaan to Abraham. And Israel themselves would spend 430 years in Egypt. So from the time of Abraham until they came out of Egypt and finally entered into the promised land, somewhere between five to 600 years had passed. God determined to judge them, but in his compassion, he waited. And yet they never turned their hearts toward the Lord, so God's judgment would stand. And so killing the king, even though it was customary to allow defeated kings to live, we'll read about this as we get into the books of First and Second Kings, of how kings um, who either defeated their enemy or were defeated by Israel uh, would eat at the other king's table. This was a customary thing to do, but in complete obedience, God took this king's life. Unlike King Saul, in 1 Samuel 15, 8 and 9, God had instructed King Saul to go against the Amalekites. Agai, the king of the Amalekites, they took him alive. They utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword, but kept the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, all that was good. They were unwilling to destroy, but everything despised and worthless and that, that they utterly destroyed. So later on, we'll read that this was one of the sins of King Saul, that he refused to be totally obedient to the Lord. Here, we find that Joshua was obedient in prayer, obedient in his actions, and he was also obedient in keeping the word of God in that though the king was hanged, he was certain to remove the body once the evening came because God said cursed is he who hangs on a tree so this they were not to do Deuteronomy 21 22 and 23 if a man has committed a sin deserving of death and he's put to death and you hang him on a tree his body shall not remain overnight on the tree you shall surely bury him that day you shall not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you to inherit, to inherit. For he who is hanged is a curse of God. Now, ultimately, this plays out to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And uh, cursed is he is hanged on a tree as he took our sins upon him. But here in this situation, to leave the king on the tree overnight would defile the land. So he was sure to, in another act of obedience, to make sure the body of the king was removed as the sun set that night. So a great battle, and they've controlled a bit of the southern section, kind of mid-southern section of Israel at this point. Uh, we'll next week begin to look at the war to pick up the remaining southern section of Israel. But they got a pretty good middle area of Israel conquered, and so now they have this blessing and cursings. The chapters finishes out chapter 8, verses 30 through 35. It says, Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebel, 
as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. So just as God has made them, that's how they laid them. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all the children of Israel, with their elders, their officers, their judges, stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as he who was born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Grism, The other half was in front of Mount Ebel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterwards he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before the assembly of the people with the women, the little ones, the strangers who were living among them. Isn't that something there? Joshua did, of all that Moses had commanded him, which Joshua did not read, not a word. He read it all, everything. We have so many in our churches today are being so selective on what words they'll read in the hearing of the people. And here it's not just the hearing of the adults. He said before the whole assembly of Israel, probably referring to the men there, with the women, with the little ones, with the strangers. So non-Israelis, their children, the women, the husband, the men, the word of God was read before them all that Moses had commanded them. Joshua did not fail to read one word that Moses had commanded them. I fear in our churches today, there are many who are failing to teach, proclaim the whole counsel of God's word. And they're afraid that the word of God is offensive. And maybe you've heard that um, over the last couple of weeks. And maybe I listen to too many podcasts and I get too much information in my head, things I shouldn't know um, or maybe don't want to know. But uh According to our government with the FBI, that they're even looking at uh, religious books that people are purchasing. They want to know if people are purchasing and they're not worried about uh, crazy things. You can have uh, distorted books, books on sex and uh, books on maybe uh, how to concoct uh, drugs magic mushrooms, all these things that they're legalizing across our country. They feel that one way to control our youth in this nation is to drug them down. It's so sad. But now they're worried about people having an interest in religious books. Now, I have to think that the Bible is a, probably one of those religious books that makes me want to go buy a case. <laughs> Could I have a problem with me? I'll go get a case and distribute them. 
So we have many in our churches today that are worried about the Word of God. They're selective about the words that they choose to read. That's one of the reasons that attracted me. Not that issue per se, but I was attracted to the Calvary Chapel movement because of the one side of the Calvary Chapel movement that strived to teach through the whole counsel of the Word of God. And that's why I read even these long sections. I, I read it. I, I, I'll admit to you that we're going to get into Joshua dividing up the land of Israel and we'll read like all these cities that we have no clue where they are today. And probably I couldn't pronounce half the names correctly anyways. I'll skip around on some of those sections. But we are going to get the word of God in us. So Joshua was obedient concerning Moses' instructions to set up the altar on Mount Ebel. He wrote out the Ten Commandments on a stone. They read all the words of the law there before the people, the wives and their little ones and the strangers. And they set up these two large stones. They whitewashed them in Deuteronomy 28, 27, verse 8. Deuteronomy 27, verse 8. Moses said to whitewash these stones and write very plainly all the words of this law. Make it plain. Let the people be able to see it. Now, this is uh, pretty cool that just in 2022... And you read about this. You can look it up online. There are some who question exactly what they have discovered. But they, they found, and we talk about this legal text that they found on Mount Ebel in 2022. Researchers finding this legal text that they were able through x-ray to kind of read because it was, I think it was made um, of bronze and um, probably corrosion in there and everything. But they were able to read the words in there and some question exactly if they got the translation of the words correct or not. But these researchers are saying that it was a little piece of tablet that was saying curse, curse, curse that they've actually discovered. He wrote out the blessings and the curses and there's been a discovery of these curses that were set there on Mount Ebel. So he was obedient to the word of the Lord, not in, only in battle, but even after the battle, taking and focusing the people's attention on the word of God. And why is the word of God so important to us? Well, John 539, Jesus speaking, saying, you search the scriptures for in them. You think you have eternal life. These are they that testify of me. Why is the word so important? to us as believers, because in the word of God, we have a testimony of Jesus. As we move on into verse chapter nine, there'll be a verse nine in chapter nine as well. But chapter nine, here we find that uh, Joshua, he's had victory defeat, victory, and now not quite defeat, but they got into a contract with the people of the land from Gibeon that they shouldn't have got into once again because they used human wisdom and forgot to seek the counsel of God. So verse 
14 is key because then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. And so what's he talking about? Let's go ahead and get into the account. Joshua chapter 9, picking up in verse 1 down to verse 6. It came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan, in the hills, in the lowlands, in the coastlands of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites heard about it, that they gathered together to fight against Joshua and Israel with one accord. So there was a battle of five kings gathering. While that gathering was taking place, basically meaning these five nations, or city kings, we might say, were preparing for war. In verse 3, it happened that the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, and they worked craftively, went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went up to Joshua, to the camp at Gilgal, and said to him, and to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country. Now therefore make a covenant with us. So after conquering Jericho and Ai, five kings, the kings of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, they gathered together. They were getting their provisions ready for war. While the men of Gibeon, and actually there are uh, four cities mentioned in verse 17 of chapter 10 connected to the men of Gideon. And these were Amorites and they were strong warriors. We'll read about that in chapter 10, I believe. But they themselves were strong warriors, and yet they made a peace covenant with Israel. Now they did it with deceit. And we read about what they had done. They worked to have old sacks, old torn wineskins and patches and um, old provisions, old bread. And they made it look like they've come from a far distant distance. In reality, they were nearby neighbors. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 reminds us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. But sadly, once again, the men of Israel, Joshua included, leaning a little bit on their own understanding. As we continue on, verse 7, down through 15. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? And they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you, and where do you come from? Uh, from a far country your servants have come, because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame, all that he has did in Egypt, all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion, king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, and all who was at Ashtaroth. 
Therefore, our elders and all our inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for the journey. Go meet them. Say to them, We are your servants now. Therefore, make a covenant with us. This bread of ours we took hot for our provision from our houses the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it is dry and moldy. These wineskins, which were filled with new, and see, they are torn. These are garments, and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. And the men of Israel took some of their provision, but they did not seek counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them, made a covenant with them, and let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. So their deception worked. But also in this, we hear of what the people had heard about Israel. They knew what God had done in Egypt, and that was some 40-plus years earlier. They knew what God had recently done by killing these two great kings, and these kings were giants. Sion and Og where now the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh dwelt. They also knew that God had promised Israel the promised land, which the Gibeonites were part of. So they knew they had a problem. God has given the land to Israel. We're part of this land. So if we don't do something, we're going to be gone. But they did not seek the counsel of the Lord. That was the sin of Israel at this point. Though Israel questioned their story, they were deceived by their clothing, their provision, their flattery. So Joshua made peace with them because they did not seek the counsel of the Lord. James 1.5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally, without reproach, and it will be given to him. I'm reading through that and just the way they flattered. Uh, that happens in church life. When people are after funds from a church, and uh, you know they might come into the church, and I was an interim pastor many years ago in Zion, and we were in the city of Zion, so um, we were close, not out like out here in the country. Um, there were actually people around us, apartment buildings right next to us, and uh, we were kind of in the heart of the city, and. We would often have people walk in looking for need, and um, sometimes they would try to butter me up. And uh, I was just, I was just a, you know, a young kid in my late 20s at that time, but still I feel pretty young and novice at that time. And, um, but I'd learned very quickly when they had those flattering words, oh, we've heard about your ministry. It's like, you don't even know me. I didn't say that to them, but that's what my head was thinking. You heard about it, sure. Um, so we need to be careful when being approached. Seek the counsel of the Lord. Be in prayer. I remember one time in Zion, and I've mentioned this here at the church before, but someone coming and asking for funds and I found out uh, that a couple of days later, talking to other pastors in the area, that he'd been working the churches from Zion to Antioch, Illinois. So, I mean, he was working us all. 
And uh, he had, um, I think this was a word of the Lord to me. He went to shake my hand. I saw his hand. It had, to me, it looked kind of like fresh oil. My son's a mechanic. I know what mechanics' hands can look like when they're working on vehicles. This looked like, and it was as if I had this word from the Lord. John, before he walked in here, he opened the hood of his, or the, his car. He took the dipstick out. He put oil on his hands, and then he came in. I mean, it was as, as I was shaking it, I was receiving those words from the Lord. And so um, from there, I dealt with the situation. He ended up leaving not because we didn't offer. We had a food pantry at the um, church there, and so it's not that there was no offer. He didn't want groceries. He wanted money, and uh, he wasn't going to get money out of me, but he could have had all the groceries he wanted, I think. But um, we need to you know, be in prayer, even to this day. You, know, you can have, and we've seen this in Joshua so far, you can have victory, and you can slip up. You can have victory, and you can slip up. And that's the case of our Christian walk so often. And so we need to be sure that we're constantly trying to walk in the counsel of the Lord. So we pick up in verse 16 through 27, finishing out the chapter. And it happened at the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, that they heard that they were neighbors who dwelt near them. Now the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day, and now their cities were Gibeon and Shephrath, Beeroth, and Kirjath-Jerim. And the children of Israel did not attack them, because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation murmured against the rulers. You guys really messed up. And then all the rulers said to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. And the ruler said to them, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation, as the rulers had promised them. And Joshua called them and spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We are from very far from you? When you dwelt near us. Now, therefore, you are cursed, and none of you shall be free from being slaves, woodcutters, and water carriers for the house of my God. And they answered Joshua, saying, Because it was certainly told your servants that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore, we are very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now here we are in your hands. Do with us as it seems good and right to do to us. So he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel so that they did not kill them. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. So they knew they were in trouble. It's why they lied. They gave the reason. They were honest. At this point, they were honest with them. They knew that they were in the hands of Joshua. But here, what 
we need to see first, they confessed at this point. They gave a, a real confession to Joshua. It is because of what we heard. And we were dead men, so we were afraid. This is why we did these things. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. And they found mercy from Joshua and the rulers of Israel at this time. They still paid a cost, but they found mercy. The cost was they became servants, woodcutters, and water carriers from that day forward. But also of the men of Israel, they did not choose to seek the counsel of the Lord. In their own wisdom, they thought, Lord, we got this one. We can see the moldy bread. We can see the patched up wineskins. This has got to be a true story. We saw it on Instagram. It's got to be real. But they had made a commitment before the Lord God, and they kept their word. And Psalm 15.4 has been a verse that just I'm often reminded of because he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That sometimes... Um, we can make a commitment and we actually discover once we made the commitment, it's like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. This is going to cost me. And yet you still go through with it because you gave your word. You swear to your own hurt. And yet you do not change. Now the Lord tells us in Matthew five thirty seven, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Any more of this is from the evil one. So there's that warning that be careful when you're making those commitments. James 5.12 repeats the same thing. Let your yes be yes, your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. And so we need to be careful when giving our word. But if we give our word, and everything we say is before the Lord. I mean, you don't necessarily have to say, well, I swear on the Bible. You just give your word. It's always before the Lord because God created this whole earth. Everything's before him. We should be men and women of our word. What do you think? 28 more verses? Go for it. Key verse for me, verse 8. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So remember, this whole thing with Gibeon, it began in the first two verses of chapter 9 with five kings and their men of war gathering for war against Israel. This is the first big test for Israel. They had went against um, Jericho. They had went against Ai. You know, one city at a time. But now they have five cities, city kings. They might refer to these five kings. But um, coming against Israel at one time. And so, verses 1 through 8, it tells us, chapter 10. So now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, and that means Lord of Righteousness, it's, um, it's the same city, the king of Jerusalem. Remember Melchizedek, the king of Salem? Um, again, he was the king of Jerusalem that came to meet Abraham. Now here, we still have a king sitting on the throne in Jerusalem who is called the Lord of Righteousness. So that's the translation of those Hebrew words. came to pass when the Lord of Righteousness, King of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai. 
and that he had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its kings, and its king, singular, sorry. And so it was done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel who were among them, and they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities. It was greater than Ai, and all its men were mightier. Therefore, Adonai Zedek, the king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debar, king of Eglon, saying, Come up with me and help me that we may attack Gibeon, for he has made peace with Joshua and the children of Israel. Therefore five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, gathered together, went up, and they and all their armies, they camped against Gibeon to make war against us. In the midst of Gibeon, sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us. Help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So the five kings, they gather against Gibeon, but ultimately it's going to be against the children of Israel as they come against to protect those that they've made a covenant with. Um, It's like the treaties and covenants that our leaders in our country make with other nations, and we often go and defend their causes and hear their pleas like this, a very similar situation in this regard. But God was in this. He was gathering together these kings in order that Israel could deliver a mighty blow against them. God had promised Israel in Deuteronomy eleven twenty five, No man shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will put the dread of you and the fear of you upon the land where you tread, just as he said to you. And once again, Joshua's in tune with the Lord. He's hearing from the Lord. And the Lord said, Go up. You got this one because I've given these kings into your hand. So God fought for Israel, verses 9 through 15. Joshua therefore came up on them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord rooted them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Haran, and struck them down as far as Aska and Mikada, and it happened as they fled before Israel and the descent of Beth Horon that the Lord cast down large hailstorms from heaven on them as they fled as far as Aska, and they died. And there were more who died from the hailstones than Israel, the children of Israel, killed that day with the sword. And Joshua spoke, verse 12. To the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel and said in the sight of all Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ahishalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenged upon their enemies. This is it not written in the book of Jasser. 
So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there was no day like this before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. So marching all night, they rooted them. God rooted them. It actually says he rooted them. God means to put in commotion or trouble. And so God was working in behalf of Israel. And Israel was battling alongside the Lord at this point. Also with the hailstorms coming down, more being killed by the hailstones than that of the swords of Israel. And then God did this miracle, number two, or maybe number three. God put this fainted heart in the enemy, number one. He had called the hailstones to come down, number two. And then the sun stood still for nearly a whole day. Uh, some have said there's another point to where the sun moves backwards by a few degrees that God has stopped the sun for a full 24-hour period, according to the Bible. Um, but they refer back to this in the book of Jas Jasher, and uh, it actually means the scroll of the upright one. And uh, it's an interesting book. Uh, even though this commentator that I was looking at today said it has not been preserved, I've read it. So it's either a different book of Jasser that I read. Uh, it does talk about the history of Israel from creation uh, through the kings, but it's pretty uh, fantastic in its telling of it. And there are some creatures that are half human and half animal and so I know why it's not in the Bible, but it is mentioned here. It's also mentioned in 2 Samuel 1.18 as well. How the Lord stopped the sun for nearly a full day? I don't know. Did the earth stop rotating? We know that the way God has us wound up, that just to cause it to even uh, stop, it would throw everything off. The earth runs as God has designed it. And so it's challenging. How did they do it? Was it? Some were saying maybe it was an eclipse. Maybe the earth stopped rotating. Somehow God allowed light to shine where they thought it was just the sun standing still. I'm not quite sure, but I can trust the one who created this world um, can do such miracles. How? I have no idea. And nor is that the point of this. The point was that God listened to a man, and they said, not before or not since, it's God listened to a man. Joshua was in so tune with God at this point that God gave him great victory over the people. So down through verse 27, and we'll finish up for the night. Picking up in verse 16, but these five kings had fled. They hid themselves in the cave in Mecca. I probably said that five different ways so far, but... It was told Joshua, saying, The five kings have been found hidden in the cave of Machedah. And Joshua said, Roll a large stone against the mouth of the cave and set the men to guard them. And do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemy. Attack their rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities, for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. And then it happened when Joshua and the city, or the children of Israel, made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter until they had finished. And those who escaped entered the fortified cities. 
that all the people returned to the camp to Joshua at Mechadah in peace. No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave. Bring out those five kings to me from the cave. So they did. They brought them out. And the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon. And it was when they brought those five kings out that Joshua called for the men of Israel and said to the captains, to the men of war who went with them, come near, put your feet on the neck of these kings. And they drew near and they put their feet on the necks. And Joshua said to them, do not be afraid nor be dismayed. So twice now we've read tonight of Joshua saying to his men, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. This is exactly what God had told Joshua. He's just repeating to his men of war the things that the Lord has spoken to him. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. For thus the Lord will do to your enemies against whom you fight. And afterwards, Joshua struck them and killed them, hang them on five trees. And they were hanging on the trees until evening. So it was at the time of the sun going down that Joshua commanded and they took them down from the trees, cast them into the cave where they had been hidden and laid large stones against the cave's mouth, which remained there until this very day. So with the battle over and Joshua forcing these five kings who had hidden the cave to lay down and have his men of war to put their feet on their necks, it sounds horrific, horrifying, of course. But also, it was building confidence in his men. And I love it that in verse 25, that Joshua, for the most part, was quoting the word of the Lord that came personally to him. Because God said to Joshua, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed, be strong, be of good courage. And it's good that we can do the same thing. as the word the Lord teaches us and uh, strengthens us in our own walk and relationship with him. We can take the things that we learn from God's word and we can share it with others. That which the Lord has given to me, I now give to you, the Apostle Paul said. So a few things before we close. Yahweh heeded Joshua's voice. And what an amazing faith that he had to even ask God, let the sun stand still. Not just the sun. He prayed for the sun and the moon. Even Joshua, they talk about Humanity is evolving, science now I'm talking, and how intellectually we're evolving, that they didn't understand how the world worked and such, and they believe the world was flat, and there's still flat earthers out there today. I don't know how, but they apparently still exist, or it's just something they're putting on social media to make us think we're all crazy. But in this text... Joshua asked for two things, which makes total sense. Sun stands still, moon stands still. They kind of rotate, right? It's the earth going around. And so they're fixed in their location in the universe and the earth rotating. Those would have to, what he's actually saying, earth stands still, that these would be fixed. But he mentioned both. We often just talk about the sun, but he mentioned both. The sun, to his benefit, was he needed the daylight. That's what he was after. But he knew they were both connected. Number two, I realized that our sun did stand still. Rather, if the earth stopped its cycle around the sun, there would be cataclysmic events 
happen upon this earth. Yet he who created the heavens and the earth, he is able to do such things. But greater than the miracle of the sun standing still, the moon as well, is the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God has given us an even greater miracle when just for a moment in time, the Son of God was hung on a cross. He became a curse for us that we might find life in him. We thank you, Lord, for tonight's study. A lot of information, a lot of warfare, but we've learned so far in the book of Joshua that there was victory and then came defeat. Victory and then came poor decisions, contracts. Victory and then another victory. They went from having a strong confidence in you to being afraid and dismayed. And even Joshua got to a point where the Lord had to say to him, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed. But now Joshua is teaching his men, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed. So Lord, we can go through those cycles where we get shook. But I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to stay in communion with you. Oftentimes, Lord, those times in our lives when we get so shook, sometimes it comes more often than not when we're out of communion with you. We're out of fellowship. We're not hearing your voice. Sometimes it'll come either way. But I know, Lord, that even in the midst of the battle, when we are in tune with you, hearing your voice, you can give us peace that surpasses understanding. So we pray tonight, Lord, that you would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord, that we would have the peace that surpasses all understanding in this world that we find ourselves in. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.